Well, good day, everyone. Welcome to the latest edition of Infection Control Matters. Um, Martin's with me today. Good day, Martin. Hello, Brett. Nice to see you again. You too. And um, guests from Ireland today. I just want to welcome uh, Deirdre Fitzgerald Hughes and uh, Aoife Kearney. And Deirdre and Aoife are researchers in the Department of Clinical Microbiology at the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland, the University of Medicine and Health Science. And uh, Deirdre is a senior lecturer and deputy head of school for postgrad, and Aoife is a clinical lecturer and has almost completed her PhD. So how far how far have you got left, Aoife, in your PhD? I have submitted my thesis, so I'm just waiting for the big day, the the last kind of the viva. So we have um, yep. here kind of, you know, I know countries do it differently, but here we do the thesis and then it kind of gets examined by the intern and the extern. So that's happening in March. Um, so I'd say nearly, nearly, nearly. Yeah, you're looking well, relatively stress-free. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's How much you can do about really it? Time, it? It is, yeah. <laughs> and well, I'm sure we may well be getting you back on on here to talk about some of your other um, work. Well, I guess I should start start by saying we're going to be talking about a national survey of healthcare workers looking at CPE, and I won't really say much more about it. It's, it's in press at the moment. The General Hospital Infection. We'll put the links up to the paper. Before we get into it, uh, Eva, is this was this part of your PhD studies or is part of your PhD studies? Yeah, so this was a part of my PhD. Um, so the main focus of the PhD, I suppose, was looking at kind of drivers of transmission to patients in hospital environments of CPE. So we started to look a little bit at, you know, environmental sampling, looking at kind of reservoirs. And then we were also interested in understanding, I suppose, activities that may help those reservoirs persist or may make them kind of more difficult to eradicate. And that kind of led us down this route of trying to understand, I suppose, just whether people think that sinks are an issue, especially people who don't work in infection control, mm-hmm. and I suppose how they interact with sinks during the kind of normal course of their work. And yeah, yeah I suppose kind of one thing led to another, and this is where we kind of ended up was just kind of trying to understand their understand it from from them by doing this survey. So where did it all start? Where did your interest start in sort of CPE topic? My personal interest, I suppose, started in probably like 2017, 2018, because I started to work in infection control research then. So my background is in nursing. So I had worked kind of as a non-IPC nurse uh, for a good few years. And I was not that interested in sinks or CPE then. I was kind of more interested in other stuff. <laughs> um, and then I guess I just became interested in the role of the environment in infection control because I had worked in a really, really old hospital um, and it became it was just a daily challenge, I suppose, like trying to deliver like modern healthcare in just a really old building that was built like hundreds of years ago, basically. And then IPC came along and then I became involved in a couple of outbreaks of CPE and doing some environmental sampling. And I suppose that's where I became a bit more interested in the CPE thing. And Deirdre had kind of done similar work previously as well. So we decided to apply for funding for a project. I suppose that was about the time we got um, quite a few national outbreaks as well, didn't you? And some quite large regional outbreaks as well did around that time, weren't there? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, I was just listening to Aoife there. Like you could say I kind of headhunted her because, uh, you know, our interest was in um, epidemiology of uh, healthcare association infections. But I, I knew that Aoife wanted to do a PhD. Wasn't quite sure she wanted to do it in this area. But, uh, you know, we, we, we eventually got the funding. So it really started with that. And um, as as Aoife said, she started uh, the project in uh, November 2020. 
And we had, I suppose, a different project in mind in terms of, uh, you know, we were going to look in the clinical environment, we were going to look at acquisition, but it became quickly apparent that we weren't going to be able to get the kind of clinical exposure or access that we needed at that time. So like a lot of researchers during COVID, we had to really pivot and we had to think, well, what else can we do to address the research question? And I think that's where the survey idea came from. And I suppose Eve, as you said, has a nursing background. And we had a lot of conversations about, oh, you'll never believe what I've seen uh, in the ward. <laughs> I, bet this is, I bet this is widespread. But, you know, we really kind of thought, well, anecdotal evidence isn't really going to get it into policy. Let's try and do something to make this into some hard evidence that people will will listen to. And as you said, I think the setting at the time, Ireland in 2017, were quite unusual in that in response to the growing kind of worsening situation with CPE epidemiology, they announced public health emergency in response to it. And that was at the same time that we launched our first national action plan uh, for antimicrobial resistance. So I think we knew that we wanted to do a survey and we knew that we wanted to try and find this hard evidence, but that kind of helped us to to frame it in terms of the, you know, you know, we 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 looked at, uh, you know, healthcare workers who had from 2017 on really were expected, I suppose, to interface with all of these new policies in relation to CPE. So we wanted to see how that was sitting with them on the ground. And as Aoife mentioned, she was also doing uh, some research on looking at how CPE and sinks can thrive in the presence of high nutrition drinks and uh, IV fluids and um, enteral feeds and all of that. And um, I think, uh, you know, the, the work of Amy Mathers as well came in. We talk about Amy Mathers' work a lot and how you know, the mm. um, only 4% of the activities in an ICU around hand washing sinks were actually hand washing, you know. <laughs> yes, we've seen, we've spoken about that a little bit, I think, in the podcast. We <laughs> in have. The past, haven't we? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the the sort of aim of the, the survey, um, how would you describe, how would you describe that? What was the, the general goal here? We wanted to, you know, understand like perceptions that, Okay, it's, it's going to be a long aim, but I suppose it's you right. to understand <laughs> and compare the perceptions of the risk posed by sinks, I suppose, or their, their role in transmission and sink-related behaviours between infection control and non-infection control staff. Um, mm-hmm. So I suppose we wanted to compare them because I think when you speak to IPC people, there is an acceptance that like this is a problem or at least something that they spend a lot of time thinking about maybe um, when it comes to CPI outbreaks or there's kind of a growing discussion about it. Whereas in our experience, when we presented some of the work we had, you know, internally, maybe not to a specifically IPC audience, it seems like a really kind of out there idea, like sinks, like, you know, it's really like whatever next, like will IPC come up with, you know, like to make us afraid of. Um, so yeah, like, people think we sit in cupboards coming up with mad ideas, <laughs> don't they? Yeah, or hiding in a sink, like ready to like, yeah. you know, a new thing. That So I suppose we just wanted to try and understand that in a bit more of a like, slightly more i suppose like robust way than just kind of our experience which was just trying to make this seem like a valid problem you know like that's how people kind of acted about it sometimes when we presented it but it was this really kind of out there idea so yeah i suppose we kind of set out to do that and we talked about different ways of doing it if it would be better to speak to people in small groups or better to just try and understand like a kind of wider just just get a kind of a sense of it um, as a kind of starting point and that's what we decided to do was just to do this kind of but let's just ask a lot of people in who work in lots of different hospitals in Ireland, what they think. Um, mm. And I suppose 
the anonymous survey we hoped would let people answer honestly because I suppose when you ask people in the place that they work what their practices are if they're not sure they might just you know say like oh yeah we're not supposed to do that with the things but you know oh well we don't but actually if they do we just kind of wanted to understand that I suppose and um, mm. so that's kind of why we chose to do the survey anonymously as well. I was just going to ask this before we get the results, maybe. The, so this, was it going across 30-odd hospitals across Ireland? Is that, it's, so it's quite a, quite a big coverage with your, with your survey. How did you manage to do that? We're lucky that Ireland is quite a small country, I suppose, but <laughs> we had a lot of contacts and we really kind of dipped into our network to try and drum up interest in completing a survey. I think this is our first probably experience of doing a survey-based research. So we went into thinking, of course, people are going to, um, you know, respond. <laughs> survey but we had kind of um times of really good activity and then it kind of you know dipped down again mm. and so we did a mixture of things it was kind of uh, during COVID times I suppose as well but uh, one of our colleagues uh, Dr Maria Boyle who had worked with us in the past uh, has a really strong social media following so that really helped to boost the responses but then we also went the paper way so um, Aoife contacted 37 uh, acute hospitals across Ireland and a number of departments within those hospitals just to try and um, get the survey out. So, uh, yeah, no, we, we we had a good spread, I think, in the end, and we got in total 283 responses. Most of them were medical and nursing uh, staff, but we wanted, you know, everybody to have a say, like, you know, we had been talking to dietitians, physiotherapists, so we got a good spread of people that, uh, you know, work on the wards in the hospital. Highlights in the results then, Eva. What did you find? What what jumps out to you? I think most people were aware of CP. Um, the IPC staff had more experience, as expected, of you know encountering it clinically than the non-IPC staff. Um, there was more IPC staff that understood that maybe sink drains play a risk in the transmission of pathogens than non-IPC staff. And then when we looked at sink disposal practices, so we asked people if they discard things down sinks, Almost none of the IPC staff said they did, but the practice seemed quite widespread of the non-IPC staff. And that included things like beverages, enteral feed, antibiotics, um, in kind of varying proportions of people said that they discard those things regularly. But what was interesting, I think, is that um, a lot more people said that they witnessed their colleagues discarding things like that than they do it themselves. So it does make <laughs> it <laughs> yeah, probably like these are practices that are quite maybe potentially could be kind of widespread like in Ireland anyway. And then I think as well, what was interesting is that most people who said that they do that, so they discard things that maybe that they shouldn't or that it's against policy to discard, they didn't report any infection control learning needs. So they felt like their IPC learning, they were they're, they're all up to date with kind of IPC knowledge. That, that was the bit presented. that jumped out to me. Most people <laughs> seem to think they knew enough. And I, I'm... I've considered myself personally to be the thickest person on the planet now because I I don't think I know enough about anything. But, you know, uh, yeah, 84% said they had no learning needs. Was that a surprise to you? I was surprised by that. Um, I think maybe it speaks to kind of like, what yeah, what do people think an IPC learning need is? Like, does it mean that their hand hygiene training is up to date for the year and that they've, you know, done the kind of mandatory stuff? Like maybe, you know, you, you don't know what you don't know, you know? So I suppose it's like mm. tricky, like, how do we deliver mm. education to people that they don't maybe don't know they need? And like, do they need it? You know, like, have we decided that this is education people need? Like, I don't know yet. Like, there's evidence that maybe we have. But like, I suppose, yeah, I, I was interested in that. And also, I think it was interesting that the majority of people who do discard stuff, it's because they don't know not to. 
not because yeah. they don't have a better option. So I think that oftentimes it comes up like, oh, well, there's no other option. Kind of what, what do you expect people to do? And I think that's really valid. But at the same time, like people did report that they had other ways they could discard stuff that wasn't really disruptive to their workflow. Um, but it was a lack of knowledge maybe that was you know, facilitating the behavior. So I think maybe there is scope to maybe improve practices with education potentially um, based on that report, you know, like that, that kind of indication. But I think that's a really important point because a lot of times we jump to the people need more education and we don't think about the barriers. <laughs> but, um, but you know, as you articulated that those barriers necessarily weren't there or reported to be there. So um, in this case, education might be, you know, one of the things that's going to be more effective. I, I, I found the same thing, the, the very interesting point that we've just, just talked about, about uh, learning needs or not identifying the need for, for more training in this area. The other thing I, I really like, just touching on something you said earlier, Aoife, and that was, I think it was 45% um, of people or thereabouts said that they used the sinks for the purposes that we described, you know, pouring, pouring stuff down them. But 82 or 81% or something it was off the top of my head. Um, so they witnessed someone else doing it. So um, even the reported practices themselves, and then they say, oh, but I've almost double that, I've witnessed um, people doing it. So it's uh, interesting about this whole self-reporting and it's probably always going to underestimate poor practice or suboptimal practice for a better term. I, I find it interesting to when you talk about what people know and what they think they know. Because as Aoife said, they don't know what they don't know. So I do wonder if it's worth going down the educational approach, you know, give them 10 things like, did you know that sinks spread infection from multi-resistant gram negatives? And then the follow-up, yeah. would you like to know more about it? And then you, you almost do like a learning needs assessment and try and phrase it in a way that actually piques their interest in other, so that they actually want to bother learning about it. Because as you showed in your uh, survey, that a lot of people who non-IPC didn't realise that this was an issue. Do you think they don't no. get how it's an issue, why it's an issue? You know, it's it's splashing from the sink that's the issue, not necessarily what goes into it. Because I, I'm I get a bit bored to be honest reading papers that say we looked down the sink and found CPE, and I always think good because it means somebody's washed their hands. It's the whole point of the sink. It's a hole you put contaminated material from your hands down. Therefore, there's stuff going to be there. But how can it get back out again? And I don't think people are really quite thinking about it in, in really that way. Because most people, a sink is just a dirty hole, well, a hole in the corner uh, to tip a liquid down. And I, I wonder if people consider it to be dirty because they wash their hands there. Therefore, this is a cleaning thing rather than actually, I'm just putting it into something that collects to the sewer. Have you got any ideas about how people might start making those connections? I know Eve, Eve and I have chatted about this. And uh, I suppose when, when she was going around the wards, I suppose one of the things that in a previous paper uh, that came out last year, she was looking at um, how CP can thrive in you know nutritional drinks and enteral feeds. And I think for that, like we actually went over to the dietetics department in the hospital to to basically say, give me your five top enteral feeds and nutritional drinks. And I suppose even just talking to to them about it, it was quite evident that they, they were interested. You know, they'd be asking, well, what are you doing this for? Like, you know, and so there is an interest when you actually talk about it to people. But it does, it, it, I suppose it comes back to, you know, in Ireland uh, and that kind of period from 2017 to 2022, when we had that national public health emergency and we had all of those policies. 
And the policies were very much kind of geared towards person-to-person transmission, you know, not as much about the environment. And really when there was a reflection came out uh, just before we kind of got involved in, in this study, from the expert advisory group to the public health emergency team. And they really did say that drains are inadequately controlled when it comes to CPE. So I suppose, you know, what we found from our study is that most people were very clear on the role of the kind of, you know, the built physical environment. But really, most people would kind of think, well, this is where we're supposed to dispose of of waste. But, uh, you know, there is very clear, I think, guidance in terms of uh, hand washing sinks should be used for for hand washing only, you know. So it's really about trying to to get that message across. There are, of course, other things that can be done to try and avoid the kind of backsplash and, you know, poorly draining kind of systems that does go down the drain that it actually stays down there. But I suppose the other thing that's not maybe in the the public kind of um, ether as much either is that we are putting these things down drains that could actually end up in the environment if they're kind of poorly managed by wastewater treatment plants as well. So, uh, you know, I suppose what we have to think about is what happens, you know, in terms of the hospital environment with poorly draining uh, systems and also what's happening beyond the hospital. In the survey, did you explore the the, um, other elements of CPE like workload um, or views on donning and doffing PPE or staffing were those types of things explored as potential i guess challenges uh with with some of the cpe guidance or is that not something you've done in this paper i think in this paper we didn't um we did ask people if they did pour things down the sink what was the kind of factor that motivated it and i think mm. we did give people an option to say um you know it disrupts my workflow mm. and yeah, I think like it still kind of was born out that actually it was mainly like a lack of education. So we didn't go too mm. far into the kind of barriers to practice. Mm. Um, I suppose one thing to add to kind of what Deirdre and Martin were saying as well, just to come in with like with in terms of education, I think one thing that we was kind of I take Martin's point that like if something is in the sink, it's not so much a problem actually until it kind of comes back out again. And I think one thing that we well, we've talked a little bit about but didn't explore too much was kind of how people interact with the sinks in kind of real life and I think that would include patients so I think a lot of the time the hand washing sink is actually in the patient room and it's really near the patient bed and um, <laughs> so the patients when you go to the hospital you can see you know and like this has been spoken about before like the dentures are there in the pot they're kind of almost probably using the sink to wash they're using the sink to like wash their stuff and filling the sink with water even if it's one of those ones with the draining hole at the back and like that interaction i suppose as well is something that we didn't explore in the survey but it's something that probably is a contributor as well in terms of patient interaction um i just think it's just worth adding that as well that you know Mm. on the one hand like there's the staff interaction which is pretty predictable like they're going to probably go wash their hands there they're probably going to maybe they're going to pour something down the sink like we're not really sure and maybe that's going to facilitate a nice little cpe reservoir that's existing there but i suppose like what we don't understand too much is what the patients do and i suppose that's where kind of where we're monitoring or tracking the acquisition so I think that's something that would be really interesting to explore as well. It's a good point. It's a good point because mm-hmm. Hugo Sachs had a paper with Aileen Wolfersberger last year looking at uh, modelling MRSA transmission and actually doing some sampling. And they found that most of the environmental contamination around a patient is actually the patient themselves moving around the contaminating surfaces and not doing that. So I think you're right about that. Well, when, when I'm thinking about what goes down the thing and what feeds biofilm, I've been unplugging a drain here at home recently because... Um, Mm. Kids here got long hair, and I'm pulling out stuff. But that's it's full of biofilm in the bath and in the sink. 
Uh, now, I'm not sticking enteral feeds down or any form of liquid down there other than normal washing procedures. So it's, it's skin squames and soaps and conditioner and that sort of thing that's going down there. So I'm not actively feeding it, I don't think, unless the kids are sneaking in there at the night and tipping cups of coffee down there or, or whatever. So yeah, or, yeah. Pouring yeah, whiskey down there. Yeah, yeah, whiskey. Well, that, that's at least some sort of disinfectant. <laughs> yeah, that's right. uh, but but uh, and my kids would never tip whiskey away anyway. Um, they, they, there's enough carbon coming off our hands in skin squames and in soaps and that sort of thing to grow biofilm anyway. And I, mean, I, I accept in hospital we can exacerbate it by putting highly nutritious material down there. But I, I can going back to working in Nightingale. Hospital in one of these put-up units we had in in London, we had an area that was used and an area that wasn't used, and it was only hand hygiene that's going in there because the, the patients weren't eating or drinking in that area. And in the other area, we just ran water down there because we were flushing it. And Ginny Moore came and had a look, and we had thick biofilm in the hand hygiene only sinks, and we grew Klebsiella pneumoniae things like that, which is good because we actually never identified one in the patient, so we'd had stuff through and caused no infection. So I do wonder if we we could ever really get on top of it anyway, and there are solutions like water free care, etc. Yeah, is that the direction of travel at all in your area? Are people looking at restricting water or or moving things away from sinks so there is like a, a zone around? I don't know. Like I suppose, like in terms of the direction of travel, like I suppose, like there is, that is there is emerging evidence. Although there is evidence, and there's kind of maybe like more evidence, like you know, emerging that like water free care is the way to go. I suppose, like not really sure like of how close we are to that here i think like um and i just don't know the answer to that like i think mm. like there's definitely applications for it i think i'm not sure that it's really kind of like something that we're moving towards soon um i, I can't decide whether it's actually just the removing of the water or actually stopping the use of the sink therefore there's less yeah, splash I, you know is i that, suppose is that it's a few issue? things <laughs> Yeah, with the sink. Like, I know, like, we, so we previously did some work where we kind of grew CP in different soaps and stuff. And we found that even, like, they were using the soaps as food. And, like, as you say, like, that soap scum is so, like, amenable to just, like, staying around the mm. pipes. And, you know, like, kind of the water just kind of stagnates around it. I think as well, you know, one of the reasons that we started to look more at the enteral feeding stuff as well was because we were aware, I suppose, of the challenges of disinfecting drains. So it's kind of a separate thing. But, like, sometimes, you know, in a CP outbreak, there's kind of this action to like we need to like do something so let's like disinfect the drains and that's just such a difficult thing to undertake as well from a practical yeah. point of view like i have yeah. a diagram of one ward and i think i've had found like i noted all the drains on it and there was like 75 drains on a 35 patient ward between all the different showers <laughs> toilets sinks you know the sluice like all the different things and then with the contact time that you need for the disinfectant like that you that would take a whole like you'd never you'd just be finished when it was time to kind of start again really like that's just such a difficult thing to undertake so one of the reasons that we started talking about Maybe like if there's things that we are doing, like for example, pouring nutritional stuff down the drain, that's like counteracting that effort. Like maybe that we should try and modify those practices because that's just such a difficult thing to deliver well. So I think it's just a really fine balance, isn't it? Of like you kind of want people to be able to do their job in the clinical environment and like do the things they need to do without inadvertently maybe making a problem worse. But at the same time, like what is the evidence to suggest? Like like I think like as Deirdre and I were speaking about this, that like this is a small piece of evidence and it does seem as though like the direction of travel generally is to kind of decrease transmission from sinks and, you know, keep patients safe. And maybe this is one way of doing that, you know, kind of with a load of other things too. But I suppose translating that out into the non-IPC 
workforce who are the people who would have to interact with it like that's a different thing and I'm not sure what the next step is you know to do that um just because I just don't know like and maybe it's education um and maybe more evidence or maybe just translating the evidence into a way people can understand like as you said like a simple kind of do you want to know more about this or did you know this here's some information that is going to make sense to you like that might be a really powerful way of doing it um, and yeah. starting point and then going from there I mean, a point marking about, of course, you know, you're going to get hand bugs down the drain and, you know, you are going to get biofilm. We've we've torn apart sink drains and, and we do find very thick biofilms down there. But I suppose the worry for us is really the CPE within those biofilms and what they're doing. And they're, you know, we know that they're they're moving their genetic material around and that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, I, I think uh, and as you mentioned, you know, the, the more carb or the more, you know, organic material that's down there, then the less effective the disinfectants are going to be. So it just means that that of all the bugs, CPE is just persisting down there much more. And we're creating conditions for that, for that to happen and for to really keep the party going down there for the mm. CPE. That's a good point. Keep the party going. I like that. Keep the party going. Yeah. <laughs> a party we don't want to have. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, just, um, just in case people are interested in repeating this type of work in their own country, people contact you if they're interested in looking at your survey to to perhaps replicate somewhere else, or have you put that somewhere already for people to be able to access? We would be, of course, very interested in uh, in sharing that with people who are who are happy to do something similar in um, in other settings in other countries absolutely mm. yeah i was going to ask the question actually um with the development of the survey did you develop that yourself or was it based on some existing surveys how did you sort of um develop that in the first instance we developed it ourselves so we kind of because we we're kind of new to the survey game i suppose we like read mm. a little bit of literature about the kind of questions to ask and the kind of data you want to collect and stuff and we kind of worked back from there and then we have um, like an internal um, in the university we work in, there's kind of like, you know, support for study design and stuff. So we consulted with them as well, just because it was kind of different to the kind of research we usually do. Mm. Just, I suppose, because it was kind of like, you know, once we started to get responses back, we wanted to make sure the questions were, you know, giving us the data we wanted. And so that we'd be able to kind of, you know, derive like meaningful, you know, the information we wanted to get from it. And yeah. then we piloted it a few times as well with them um, kind of locally with IPC, but then also importantly with non-IPC people to make sure it all kind of made sense and stuff. So we actually, it was kind of interesting because I thought the survey was in great shape and then a few people did it and they were like, this question, what are you talking about? <laughs> so I think that was, <laughs> that was like really useful. So we were very grateful that some of our colleagues and kind of friends did that as well because um, that made it better. And it, I think, yeah, just having the questions so that people can only give certain answers was really important because people mm. initially we had some free text and people were giving really interesting kind of free text responses that I was just really interested in because I'm interested in things, but like you wouldn't be able to analyze it in any kind of way at all. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how we did it. Um, just, I suppose, because it's yeah a bit different to what we usually do. Um, mm. So yeah. Can, can, can I quickly ask um, one thing that just popped through my mind? You asked nursing and medical staff. Now you haven't reported those separately. I just wondered, actually, did the sink come up at all in the consciousness of the medical staff that you asked, or did they just get subsumed into the rest of it? Did they did they get it? Because, to be honest, half the medical staff I used to work with haven't visited a sink's locality for years. You know, they, they might use alcohol hand rub, but you'll never often see them going to a hand sink. And they certainly won't be pouring drinks down or anything like that. So did it hit, hit their radar? Did you see any differences that you weren't able to report that weren't significant? I think I'm trying to think now. I think so. Our medical staff were 
predominant. So they were pretty much about either people who'd had some microbiology experience, so they had some kind of interest already, ah, or okay. people with kind of none. And um, so I think when we looked at it, like there was more of a people who, you know, had a microbiology experience, like were kind of aware of the issue, but at the same time, it wasn't really something that they did in their usual practice. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas the other people uh, were less aware of the issue. And again, like they were disposing of things a bit less, I think, than nursing, because it's just not part of their usual role. Whereas like the, the nursing staff who responded would have just been, um, you know, it's kind of part of their like day to day, like, you know, disposing of IV fluids, disposing of enteral feed. I think it was in the consciousness, like it wasn't any less than the medical staff than any of the other groups that responded okay. as far as I know. You obviously didn't ask any orthopedic surgeons then. <laughs> okay. Well, it's been fascinating. Uh, I've really enjoyed reading it. For me, the big jump out thing was though that people don't think they need to know anything else, which means either we're not communicating the fact that they've got a knowledge gap to them, or they really do think they, they it's not important enough for them to want to know more either. So I, I thought that was fascinating. So uh, I, you know, good luck with the uh, Viva and getting becoming yeah. Dr. Kearney. Um, really enjoyed chatting to you both, Eva and Deirdre. Thanks very much for spending time uh, talking to Brett and I today. Thanks so much. as well. Thanks. Yeah, thanks so much. That's been great. Thanks, Brett. Always good to see you. Thanks, man. You too. And that's uh, a wrap from us on this edition of Infection Control Matters.